Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartinized. Today's podcast, Reasonable Conclusions. I got some email about the Weasel Words podcast. Some people said, gee, I didn't realize that those particular words had gotten past my bullshit detector. Thanks for helping me tweak it. Well, folks, there's no reason to feel bad if you get faked out once in a while. Even if you're smart and nice, you're dealing with people whose profession is skewing your BS meter. That's what they do for a living, and they're good at it, and they're going to get past you once in a while. As long as you're aware of that and are constantly tweaking it and adjusting it, you can get by just fine. And today's podcast is yet another way that you can very easily tweak your BS meter. We're constantly bombarded by new studies that claim to have discovered something important. Occasionally, they tell us they've discovered something that's good for us, and all we have to do is change our lifestyles or buy something, and we'll be able to run fast, jump high, and live forever. But more often than not, they're telling us they've discovered something is bad for us, and so we have to change our lifestyles immediately so that we can run fast, jump high, and live forever. The people presenting these studies are always presented as experts. The media never, ever seems to question their credibility. It takes whatever they say at face value. Now, there's two different ways that we can deal with these things to see if what they're saying is really valid. The first is to learn some statistics, learn what statistics are and how they work. Now, if you go to DaveHit.com and click on the facts, you'll find two pages on there called Epidemiology 101 and Epidemiology 102 that will explain the basics of statistics to you in layman's terms. You'll learn what an RR is and what a CI is and the difference between a cohort study and a case control study and what's considered a good sample size and what kind of errors to look for in statistical studies. And it can be a lot of fun to hunt down a study that makes claims and thoroughly debunk it because you know better. But that takes time, and I know you're busy, so there's a much quicker, much shorter way to do this. And as soon as I say it, you're going to say, yeah, that's obvious. Why didn't I think of that before? And that is to just look at the claim that's being made and ask yourself, is this reasonable? Does this make sense? Let me walk you through a couple of examples to show you what I'm talking about. These examples have to do with smoking and secondhand smoke, simply because that's a subject that I know a fair amount about. But you can apply this to any claims that you see anywhere. We're going to start off with some claims made by a professional nicotine nanny named James Repace. Now, I've dealt directly with James Repace and proved what I always suspected, that he's basically a lying weasel. And if you'd like to read those email exchanges, they're on the website, too, under the article Name 3. But you don't have that background with him, so you might tend to take what he says at face value. After all, the media is calling him an expert. Let's take a look at just a couple of his claims and apply the is this reasonable criteria to them. One good solution to secondhand smoke is ventilation and filtration, but the nicotine nannies don't want to admit that because that would allow people to smoke, and that's really what they want to stop. There are units out there that businesses can buy that will leave the inside air cleaner than the outside air. Hospitals use them in operating rooms to clean the air. But according to Repace, that's not enough 
to take care of the horrible, horrible specter of secondhand smoke. He claims that secondhand smoke is so pervasive that the only way to get rid of it would be to change the air in a room so often that you'd have winds of 300 miles an hour. Does that seem reasonable to you? You've probably been in a smoky room and opened the windows and watched a gentle breeze blow through and clean it out in a matter of minutes. That pretty much takes care of Mr. Repace's claim, but just for fun, let's take it a little further. Imagine that you're visiting Aunt Irene in Florida. Aunt Irene collects antiques, and she's sitting at a roll-top desk where she just finished smoking three Virginia Slims, and the air is a little smoky, so you decide to open a window. Oh, and by the way, you're in the middle of Hurricane Ivan. You open the window, and... The 150-mile-an-hour winds of Hurricane Ivan immediately suck you out of the room. Then they suck on Irene out of the room. Then they smash the roll-top desk through a wall. But according to Mr. Repace, according to this expert, that's not enough to clear out the secondhand smoke. You'd have to double the wind speed in order to do that. Is this reasonable? Now let's look at another one of his claims, one of his more recently published studies, where he claims that the air in a smoky bar is more dangerous than air filled with vehicle exhaust. He ignores trivial stuff like carbon monoxide and instead concentrates on soot, giving it the fancy name PPH to make it seem less trivial. He claims that he's measured a PPH level in bars of 134 nanograms compared to 18 nanograms on the side of the road during rush hour. Wow, 18 versus 134. That's pretty impressive. But wait a minute. A nanogram is a billionth of a gram. So even if this guy is telling the truth about his numbers, we're looking at 134 billionths of a gram. A grain of salt, a single solitary grain of salt, weighs 120,000 nanograms. So if we chop that grain of salt into a thousand different pieces and pick one of those pieces, that's how much soot we're talking about. Should we be concerned about that much soot? Is that reasonable? Let's finish up with just one more test of reasonableness. This was an economic study by economist Frank Sloan. I think it's cool being an economist. It's one of the few jobs where you can be wrong for your entire life and still collect a paycheck. And Frank repeated a study that's been done many, many times before and came up with very different results. The question was, how much do cigarette smokers cost society? Studies that have honestly looked into this have come up with conclusions that the nicotine nannies really don't like. Cigarette smokers, on average, die about six years earlier than the general public, so that's six years that they're not collecting Social Security, they're not collecting pensions, and they're not using medical resources. Add to that the taxes that they pay. They literally put out tens of thousands of dollars more in taxes than anybody else in their income bracket. 
And the final conclusion is that smokers actually save society money in a macabre sort of way. Is that a reasonable conclusion? When you figure in those facts, yeah, that makes sense. But now this Frank Sloan comes along, looking at some of the same numbers, and claims that cigarettes cost society $40 a pack. Where's he come up with this number? He claims to have factored in the dying early and spending more taxes, but he fudges the numbers by saying that each year of lost life is worth $100,000. Where does he get this number? Well, as my great-grandmother used to say, he pulled that one out of his ass. He also pulls out a few more ass numbers. The secondhand smoke cost is $5.44. He doesn't explain where that comes from. And then just this nebulous cost to society of $1.44 a pack. You can just ask yourself, is this reasonable? And drop it right there. But if you want to have a little more fun and see just how ridiculous it is, you can go out and figure how many cigarettes are smoked per capita. That information is out there on the net figure out how many packs of cigarettes that translates to, and then multiply that out by $40 a pack, and it comes out to, let me see here, $1,171,520,000,000 per year. That's right. Cigarette smoking, according to this clown, costs the U.S. $1.17 trillion a year. The gross national product last year was about $11 trillion. So according to him, smoking costs us 10% of everything. What an impressive number. What a shocking conclusion. What an amazing pile of bullshit. Folks, the next time you see any study, the next time you see any medical claim or economic claim, you can go and examine the original study. You can take a look at the statistics. You can look at the RRs and the CIs and the sample sizes and all that stuff. Or you can just ask yourself the question, is that reasonable? And about 99 times out of 100, you won't have to research any further. That's it for this episode of Quick Hits. Hey, if you learned a little something, if you adjusted your bullshit meter just a bit, if you can see things from a slightly different point of view now, congratulations, you've been smartinized. I've never asked for votes in any of these podcasts. And I've never really gotten a lot of them on any of the podcast listings. But as an experiment, I'm going to ask you folks to go out and make a vote. Go out to Podcast Alley and cast a vote there. This is one of the few times in your life where a vote actually can make a difference. Just a few votes can dramatically change the position of a podcast. And these votes are reset every month. So it's near the beginning of the month. It's a good time to vote. And if you really like podcasts in general, it's a good habit to get into. Go and vote for them. The best thing to do is vote at Podcast Alley. If you are feeling really generous, then go to Podcast Pickle and put quick hits in your favorites. Also, iTunes now has podcasts going, and it's generally believed they're going to be ranking them based on the number of people who subscribe. 
So if you have iTunes, subscribe to Quick Hits in that too. That will help the position. Now I'm not asking you this for ego, because my ego is already large and healthy enough. I'm not too worried about that. But a higher position means more people are going to notice it and listen to it. And that's a direct advantage to you, because the more people that get smart knives, the fewer stupid people you have to deal with every day. I really enjoy hearing from listeners, so if you love or hate this podcast, please drop me a line. You'll find the email address and the ID tags of this file. You can also visit www.davehit.com. And if you're more the mouthy type than the writer, give me a call at 206-203-4488. That's a voicemail box. Nobody's going to answer it. That's 206-203-HIT. Use your free anytime minutes on your cell phone, or if you don't have those, remember it's always free if you call from work. And don't forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is a journal of one man's opinion, and therefore should not be taken too seriously.